like that song too. This morning, we're going to start a new series called Clearly Marriage. Um, one of our values here at the bridge is to clarify truth, meaning we want to look at the scripture for our truth, not look to tradition, not look to what we've always been taught, not look to any other place for truth, but we believe and we know and we're confident in that this is the truth and we can't be confident in anything else being the truth. But we know this is. So we want to clarify this. Some of our traditions may be a little off. Some of the things we've always been taught may be a little off. This is never off. This is always on. So we want to clarify over the next four weeks the truth about marriage and I'm nervous for one I came out of student ministry so I've never really done this before talking to seventh grade boys and girls about marriage is more awkward than helpful so I never really did a series on marriage and student ministry. I'm also nervous because I think you may hear me say at times that Dustin's marriage must be awesome. And Beth giggled. I love my wife and we plan on staying together. But marriage is tough. Not for her, because she's married to me. But y'all won't believe this, but sometimes I'm a moody guy. Sometimes I'm moody because my mailbox got backed over by Beth. Sometimes I pick too much and joke too much and take it too far. That's just kind of how I roll. I like to pick at people and my family gets the, the brunt of that. So sometimes I take it too far. I do that. Sometimes the biscuits are burnt. And I don't do that. I don't burn the biscuits. Marriage is tough, and Beth and I do not have it all together. We are failing forward. We are trying to learn. We are definitely still learning. So when I preach these messages, I want you to understand that I have already had to preach these things to myself, and the enemy attacks our marriage when... He knows I'm about to preach on marriage. There's a third thing that makes me nervous about this too. And that is that there, I know there's people in the room that potentially have been through a divorce. And you may hear from me or the enemy may speak into your ear that I am condemning you for what you have walked through. But that is not the case. We cannot apply the scripture to our past. 
You hear what I'm saying? We, we can't do anything about those things. I can't hit the rewind button. You can't hit the rewind button. If we could hit the rewind button, divorce would be one of many things we would go back and redo. I have some things I would like to hit the rewind button on, but we don't have one. So what we do is we hear from the Scripture and we apply it today and we apply it tomorrow and we apply it the next day. We don't live in the past in guilt, crippled and chained up and locked down. We move forward in truth and that's all we can do. Do not hear any kind of tone of condemnation coming from me if you've had to walk through that difficulty. Over the next few weeks, I need your prayers, though. Because this is, this is tough. It's tough to preach about. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians 5. If you want to turn there in your copy of, of God's Word, we're going to be in verses 15 through 33 of Ephesians 5. Even though there's this risk of these unintentional things happening, like you believe in I got a perfect marriage or feeling some kind of condemnation because of what we talk about, it's highly critical that we clarify what Jesus expects from His people in marriage. So that's what we're shooting for in this series. The title of this message is The Mission of Marriage. This is the place where we need to begin our discussion Uh, Because we can't understand our roles and responsibilities if we don't even know why God has put us together. So this morning, the mission of marriage. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Pay careful attention then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives... The emphasis is mine. Submit to your husbands. Y'all, we can't laugh and cut up, can't we? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Ephesians may be one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I say that a lot 
because they're all good. But the thing about Ephesians is, is the way it's organized and structured. The first four chapters of the book of Ephesians is this description of all God has done in this creation and in, in our relationship to Him. In, in chapter 1, verse 5, it talks about how He predestined us for adoption. Before the world began, He looked down and, and He predestined us for adoption into His family to be brought into His family. It talks about how He has made us this one unified body in, in chapters 1 through 4. And, and he's, he's done all these things to, to love us in, in our relationship to His Son. And he, he, he sent Jesus on our behalf so that we can be made right with the Father. And, and He did all of these things. And, and all of that is described in chapters 1 through 4. And then chapter 5, verse 1, there's a transition. It says, therefore, which is a transition word, meaning everything I have said in chapters 1 through 4 are about to speak to what I'm going to say in the rest of the book. Because of all this that I have said to you in chapters 1 through 4, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. What you know of God that I said to you in chapters 1 through 4 should affect the way that you live in relationship to other people. And this is how. That's how chapter 5 starts. And then we get to the verses that, that we just read. He says, pay attention to how you're living, not as unwise, but as wise, because you only have this short of amount of time. Pay attention to the way you live, because you need to affect this world while you have time. Live wisely. Don't waste your time. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, most of the time when you hear that preached, you hear the focus on don't get, don't get drunk with wine. And it is saying that. Don't get drunk with wine. Drunkenness is sinful. That is saying that. But that's not the focal point of that verse. The focal point of that verse is to be filled with something. He is, he's making a correlation between what it's like to be intoxicated with strong drink, drink and what it's like to be intoxicated with the Spirit of God. It's consuming over here don't do that. But kind of like how that works, be consumed with the Spirit. Let it fill you. Let it affect you. Let it control you. He says, if you're filled with the Spirit, there will be these songs rising up in you. Because yes, we need to be about talking about Jesus, but He's too good for us to just talk about. We have to sing about Him also. And He says, Psalms. Share these Psalms with one another. Psalms come straight out of the Psalter. Not the Shaker, but the book of Psalms. He's saying, share these Psalms with each other. He says, share these Hymns with each other. Hymns are in the Scripture. There, there's a lot of them in Revelation. He's saying share these hymns with one another. And then he says share these spiritual songs because of this 
feeling, filling of the Holy Spirit, this intoxication with Jesus, there are these songs that may rise up in you called spiritual songs. And they just flow out of you and you're supposed to share them with people. And what I read is sometimes they can be fun. But it's with what's going on in the moment. Like, I wrote one. Where is it? I woke up this morning and Jesus was there. I felt his presence when I was combing my hair. Don't think I'm weird, but he guided me while I was brushing my beard. One of these kids in this house is stanking. Jesus hold me back before I deal out a spanking. It's this joyful expression of of who Jesus is to us and it can be kind of fun and it's, it's like... Paul was encouraging this church in Ephesus, man, when, when the Lord brings up a song in you, even if it's kind of goofy, you're, you are teaching the truth of who Jesus is to your kids and to your family when you vocalize that Jesus is everything to me. Sing these songs when the Spirit tells you, is what Paul says. Then he says... The indwelling spirit in verse 20 causes us to be thankful. And you need to look back at that verse because it doesn't just say thankful. It says thankful in everything. Thankful in everything. Everything. That's not just the good things, but in everything. It is completely impossible to obey this scripture apart from the filling of the spirit. You cannot be thankful in everything. Apart from Jesus. But he says be thankful. In everything. Then Paul says submit to one another. When the Bible says something to us. And it ends with to one another. That means to other believers. So he's saying submit. Live a life of submission. To other believers. Take the low place in your relationship. To other believers. To The church, actually in the next verse, verse 22, when I stopped and I was goofing, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. In the original language, that word submit is not in verse 22. It's rightly placed there. But this is what's really happening. He's saying, submit to one another, wives to your husbands. Meaning, submit to other believers as a big, broad command. You and I should be submitting to one another as brothers and sisters to Christ. And one way that is done specifically is a wife's response to her husband. And then he says, in fear of Christ. Which is also because of how we understand fear a little wonky. It is a response of awe. It's not the fetal position type fear. It's awe. And you may be sitting there thinking, Dustin, you told us we were going to learn about marriage. 
we were going to have this series on marriage and you haven't said the first thing about marriage. I thought we were going to talk about marriage. That's why I'm here today. But I have been talking about marriage. Our first observation is we cannot fulfill the mission of marriage apart from being filled with the Spirit of Jesus. It cannot happen. Paul does this discourse on being filled with the Spirit right before he talks about specifics of marriage on purpose. You cannot do what I'm about to tell you to do if you don't get this right. It's impossible. He tells us to do these crazy things like this this joy that overflows in us when we're filled with the Spirit and this thankfulness in everything. Not entitlement, but thankfulness in everything. And this response of submission to one another when we're filled with the Spirit. And those are hard things, but can you imagine if our marriages were defined by joy? Not entitlement, but thankfulness in all things. Not forcefulness or arrogance or authority, but submission to one another. Man, we need that in our marriages. Now, I'm not sorry about that. That took a lot out of me. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to talk about verses 22 through 31 this week. We're going to talk about that next week. So, wives, you can put your rocks down. But bring them back with you next week. Men, you better bring some bigger ones because I'm going to talk to you too. Paul does this whole discourse on the way wives should relate to their husbands and how husbands should relate to their wives. And then he says, I know this is wild and profound and really a mystery, but I'm talking about Jesus and the church in verse 32. Do you see that? He goes through this discourse, verses 22 through 31, And then in verse 32, he says, you know, you thought I was talking about mainly how wives should submit to their husbands and husbands should love their wives and all that's going on. But I want to tell you the truth. This is kind of weird, but really the whole time I was talking about Jesus and his church. And this is the second observation this morning. The mission of the marriage of every believer is to point a watching world to an incredible king. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus this morning, and you are a married believer, your marriage has one role, one main role, and that is to be a testimony of the way Jesus and His church respond to each other to a world who does not know Him. Your marriage is meant to be a testimony The Bible never says you should get married so you could be happy. 
Man, I hope you didn't do that. The, marriage, the, the Bible never says you should get married so you can combine in, incomes. You combining bills too. Believers get married as a testimony to a watching world of what it's like to live in relationship with Jesus. And it's, it's why it's so important that we get it right, clearly right. But sadly, what, what happens is a lot of times is, is we, we, look, we look to our spouse to provide for us what only Jesus was meant to provide for us. And friend, let me tell you something. When you do that, when you look to your spouse to provide for you what the Scripture says Jesus is supposed to do for you, that is idolatry and it will kill you. And it will rip your marriage apart. I've tried it before. It's not good. It's not that you're just unhappy. It's that you become filled with anger and bitterness and hatred because your spouse was never meant to bear the load of God in your life. And this is the first application. Do not look to your spouse to supply for you what only Jesus can. I walked into my marriage with all these expectations and I'm sure you did too. And if we're not careful, it can damage us. You, you start dating. Y'all remember what that was like? Awful. Man, I never want to do that again. But you get all googly-eyed. One, you don't want to see anything wrong in the other person because you're in love. And number two, you don't want the other person to see anything wrong with you, so you kind of guard those bad things. You kind of hide them. For the first six months, that person's eating salad in front of you every time. You're like, man, this is the only human that don't eat. Never been to the bathroom. <laughs> you ain't showing that. You're keeping that over here. You're the only human in the world. Don't go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom. <laughs> if, I, if I marry this person that's sitting across from me, I'll never be lonely again. The truth is, some of the loneliest people I know are married folk in miserable marriages. That's the truth. It's a sad truth. But there ain't no kind of loneliness like being lonely when you're with, with somebody. That's a bad lonely. If I marry this person, I can experience intimacy anytime I want. I'm going to pray for you. I looked for that crying Michael Jordan meme to put it on the screen this morning when I said that, but I thought that might be a little too weird. 
Friends, all of this, all of it belongs to Jesus. You have to go to Him to meet your ultimate needs in your life. No other human can meet your ultimate needs in life. Only Jesus can. Be sure you find your intimacy in who He is to you in this Word. Be sure you you find your ability to not be lonely in relationship to Him. Don't look to your spouse to be what only Jesus can be for you. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to them. You're going to hurt them and you're going to hurt yourself. Look to Jesus to supply what only Jesus can. The second application this morning is to stop focusing only on what marriage is not and pursue with your spouse what marriage is. This is a difficult one to talk about. Uh, and I know it's a sensitive one. But, but there is this idea out there that there are these attacks on marriage in our world. And there are. There are attacks on marriage. But we can begin to think that those other people that don't believe like us with a different agenda than us are the problem. And and let me go ahead and clarify to you so that we're all on the same page. Dustin is against anything 100% other than one man being married to one woman. I'm against anything other than that. That's what the Bible teaches, one man being married to one woman. And I will be pro that and for that. And there is an agenda out there that teaches otherwise. And I don't believe that. Are we clear? You ain't got to send me nothing bad. We're clear. But the enemy does not just use that in, in, in that circle attacking marriage. The enemy can use it in your life by causing you to focus on that as though that's the problem with where marriage is in our society today when, friend, we may be the problem. Because of that verse at the end that says, I'm not talking about marriage. I am talking about Christ and the church. Yes, we should say and we should teach to our kids what, what is being taught over here with this agenda is wrong. We should tell our kids that. But that if we, if we stop there, we have not gone far enough. We also have to teach this is what marriage should be. Marriage should be telling the world, here is another way. 
This is the reason we relate to our wives this way. And this is the reason we relate to our husbands this way. Because it's not primarily about us. Our marriages are supposed to be teaching the world. This is about Jesus and the church. We are supposed to be opening the eyes of the world by the way we relate to our spouse. And if we are only against that agenda over there and we're not for this agenda in here, we have not taken it far enough. The way the enemy of our souls works is to take away verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read it one more time to you. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making most of the time because the days are evil. This is the way the enemy works, friend. It's not just to have this bad agenda among lost people over here. It is to distract the church from what Jesus has called the church to do. Because he doesn't need you to go kill a person to defeat you. He needs to take your mind off the agenda of who Jesus is and what he has called the church to be. If you are distracted from everything the Lord has called you to be and everything your marriage is intended to be, through the Scripture, the enemy has already won. Our marriages are supposed to speak the truth of another way. The way we respond to one another. The enemy desires for your life and your marriage not to count for the kingdom. He's so deceitful and, 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 and cunning. He'll get you so completely hung up on other people that you can do nothing about. Did you know you can't do anything about what other people do? You can't. You can point your finger in the face, it ain't, ain't going to help them. But you can... Resolve to follow Jesus and what he's called you to do. You can do that. So if the enemy makes you focus on what you can't do anything about. He's taking your mind off what you can do something about. He's evil. He hates you. And the feeling's mutual with me and him. I hate him too. I don't want him to trick you into thinking you're right by only focusing on what other folk are doing. You do what Jesus has told you to do. And watch how he uses that to affect them. This morning you may have come here and this is, this is another thing that I've, I've been nervous about. Uh, What about the people that are single? Well, at the end of this series, the last message, February 28th, uh, we're going to preach on singleness. But you may be asking, what does this have to do with me? This is all about the way Jesus relates to you. 
no matter what you've done, no matter where you're found today, he's pursuing you in a love relationship, an intimate love relationship with you. No matter where you may be found this morning, he's coming after you. And if that's the case, we want you to respond to him by trusting him for the first time. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that when we sing. Before we sing, though, uh, I'm going to ask my aunt Kim Dillard to come up here. She's going to lead us in communion. Um, we ask that if, if you're a believer from another church that you'd pay, partake with us. But if you're not a believer, we ask you to abstain. Not because we want to leave you out, but because this is what the Lord has called us to do. If you don't have your juice and cardboard, would you raise your hand? We can get you some. Right here. Hey, Brett. Let me pray for us real quick, then Kim's going to lead us. When we're done with communion, if you will go get your kids out of the nursery and bring them in here so they can watch the baptism. Father, we come to you this morning. And God, we, we commit our marriages to you. I know that in the past we have botched it and we have missed the meaning of marriage, the mission of marriage. And, and God, we pray that from this day forward... We would do exactly what you've told us to do in our marriage. It's important. It's telling a watching world what you've done for us. So we pray that over each marriage, each family represented here today. And as we celebrate communion, I, I pray that we're reminded of this pursuit that you have for your bride, the church. And that you would continue to speak to souls. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2001, my husband Steve was diagnosed with a large brain tumor. It was a devastating diagnosis to our family. And it was the first major crisis that I had ever experienced. I had followed Jesus for many years. But when we heard this news, it made me understand that we were going to have to say, okay, do we believe or do we not? Could I continue to trust Jesus during this time? It was no accident that in the months prior to his diagnosis, I had done a word study on the word hope. I had looked at every verse I could find and studied it to understand what the word hope meant. I understood that hope was not always like I thought. You know, we talk about hope as wishful thinking, like, I hope it snows, or I hope it doesn't. But the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a confident expectation in who he is and who his character is. I had started collecting things that had the word hope on it. You see, I know myself, and I understood that I was going to need many, many reminders. So, I bought necklaces, 
I bought bracelets, anything I could find that had the word hope on it. And I wore them to work. I wore them everywhere I went. I had an assortment of coffee mugs that had the word hope on it because I wanted to be reminded. When I'd take my little dog outside, I had a garden rock that had hope on it. When I went to work, my keychain had hope on it, and it would jingle against my steering wheel, constantly reminding me of who Jesus was and the hope I had in him. You get the picture. I needed reminding. This morning, we're going to look at Lamentations 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 17. But I want you to understand a little bit of the background of what happened before these verses were written. Jeremiah is lamenting over the things that had hap- were happening around him in his country, in his land. The city of Jerusalem had been invaded by the Babylonians, and it was utterly destroyed. People were suffering in the streets, and there was not enough food. People were starving to death. If you read over in chapter 4, we find that they were even eating their children. Circumstances were terrible. Now hear these words with me out of verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and I have become depressed. Then, as Dustin talked about transitional words, the word yet is a transitional word. He goes on to write, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. One translation says, I dare to hope. Listen to this passage. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to the Lord, you are my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. Jeremiah, the writer of Lamentations, had become so overwhelmed with things that were going on around him that he needed to remember that the Lord's love was steadfast and that he was merciful. And he needed to think of times in the past where God had been faithful to him. Can any of you relate to Jeremiah this morning? I'm so weary of this season that we're living in. I think we all are. Beth alluded to that this morning. I've never seen so much sadness. My family has experienced great loss, as many of you have. We have buried four family members in five months. My mother-in-law, my granddaughter Stevie Jane, my uncle and my aunt. Not all are due to COVID, but certainly all were impacted by the effects of COVID in one way or another. I wish I could tell y'all that 20 years ago, I got it. I wish I could tell you that 20 years ago, I, I have no questions and no doubts, but I wouldn't be real honest if I did that. Even recently, I could strongly identify with the tension in these verses between unbelief and faith. In the last few months, sometimes I've been short on peace. I've struggled with feelings of despair and hopelessness. And I had to make a transition and choose every day to put my hope in Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to remember the faithfulness of God in the past, and I'm going to trust him with his faithfulness in the future. Maybe today you are overwhelmed with a personal crisis, or maybe you're just worn out from the pandemic or some other battle. I want to invite you to come to the table. Let's make a conscious effort to look at the cross instead of our crisis. I want to call you to focus your mind on what Jesus did for us on the cross. He came to earth. His mission was to die for us. He was rejected by his family. He was betrayed by someone in his inner circle. He was falsely accused, mistreated, beaten, spit on, stripped, and placed on a cross. He had lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve to die, but he did it willingly for you and for me. He took our sins upon himself. When we realize that we are desperate for him, confess our sins and acknowledge him as our king, he gives us all this goodness and righteousness and we can enter into a relationship with him and our purpose becomes following him for the rest of our life. I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians 11:26. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took the bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus knew we were going to be needing reminders. We were going to need to Focus on his death. Our minds are prone to forget. So he makes it as a command. Do this in remembrance of me. The inferred word there, inferred word there is, you do this in remembrance of me. We're going to do that together this morning. I want you to take your bread. We're going to focus and remember that his body was broken. He had a crown of thorns pressed into his head. He had nails in his hands and feet, and a sword was thrust through his side. His back was raw, and the flesh was torn from the beatings. He suffered unimaginable physical pain for us. He died the death that we deserved. You may eat the bread. Now let's remember his blood that flowed from his body, from the wounds in his head, his side, his hands, and his feet. It ran down that wooden cross, and most likely a puddle formed on the ground at the foot of the cross. His blood covers every sin that you have ever committed or ever will commit. What can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is healing and forgiveness in his blood. Will you drink the cup, please?
Jesus continues in this passage. He says, for as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we remember Jesus in here, it will com compel us to share the gospel out there. So I would challenge you this next week, as I have challenged myself, husbands, wives, when you're angry with your spouse, remember Jesus. Mom and dad, when you're frustrated with your children, remember Jesus. Foster parents, I see you. When you are weary in every way, remember Jesus. Kids, when a friend at school does something wrong and tries to drag you into it and make you do something you know is not right, remember Jesus. When things on your job don't go your way, remember Jesus. When someone cuts you off in traffic or around here, a tractor pulls out in front of you and drives very slow when you're late on the way to work, remember Jesus. When you see a beautiful Delta sunset, remember Jesus. When your calendar is full of good things, but it's taking away from the best things, remember Jesus. When there are more bills in your mailbox than there is money in your bank account, remember Jesus. When you see someone that does not look like you or talk like you or act like you, remember Jesus. Every day and all day long, let's remember Jesus. And as we remember him, let's proclaim the gospel. He alone is our hope. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for all you've done for us. Sometimes we say that and it's so uh, flippant, but God, today I mean it from the bottom of my heart. As we look at you and we see the cross, it dims the things that are going on around us and it gives us strength and grace to get up in the morning. Oh, Father, thank you for people like Jeremiah that you put in your word that we can see they were human and that it's okay sometimes to be tired and weary and scared and afraid of the things that are going on around us. But, oh, Father, what hope you bring into that situation. Father, help us this week and in the weeks ahead to remember you. It's in your precious holy name that I pray. Amen.